Hello, I'm Jez Rose, and before we get into this month's episode, I want to say a big, loud thank you to everyone who's been listening, enjoying, and uh, telling your friends about the podcast. It is it's just joyful to see more people enjoying the podcast to see it being shared to people to see people recommending it so a huge thank you uh, now as you may know every series of this podcast has so far been entirely unsupported by commercial advertising it's something i've been really cautious of you know obviously we, we had a lot of people approach us about or approach me about um advertising and i'm always unsure about how i feel about advertising on podcasts i wanted this always from the very first episode with adam to be something raw something i don't know a bit rambly <laughs> a little which i think i do very well if i say so myself uh i wanted it to be something authentic and genuine and to have that feel that you know you were just sat with me and we were having a chat so that means that because it's has no support with anything commercial or doesn't have any adverts it ultimately means it's entirely funded by people like you so if you enjoy the podcast and you'd like to hear more in the future, I've made a really easy way for you to donate. Go to thatjezrose.com forward slash donate. Thank you so much for listening. It means a lot to me. This is series four, episode five. Now, as you know, I have recently moved house. I'm here in the new house and things are kind of calming down a bit. There was an awful lot unexpectedly to do in the house. Uh, but I knew that the garden was a massive project and I, honestly I am so excited to share with you some of the stuff in the garden. I'm producing a lot more content for uh, you, for you, <laughs> end of sentence, uh, I was going to say for you to consume but I don't know what you'd do with content for you to, I don't know, slag off, I, I don't know. <laughs> um, I'm going to make a tiny adjustment to my uh, microphone there. I've leveled massive areas in the garden for the wildflower meadow. Um, depending on when you listen to this, there may or may not be a big sort of how-to video on my YouTube channel, which is um, at that Jez Rose, uh, youtube.com forward slash C forward slash uh, that Jez Rose. So we put together some sort of snippets of things that I've been doing in the wildflower meadow. So you could see it coming into shape. And I thought it'd be really useful actually to bring all of those together to create a sort of short form how to so you can see it from before through all the you know stripping of the grass and sowing the seeds how i chose the seeds and then ultimately i'm going to create a um a tutorial series um for you because i i've been inundated by people wanting to create a wildflower meadow who i don't know like you've done it and it's not worked out or you've done it and with retrospect you think oh, perhaps i didn't do it right or maybe you didn't really know what you were doing in the first place and that's absolutely fine um and also lots of people that don't have necessarily a big space or a lawn or whatever, but like the idea of wildflowers. And I've had loads of questions like, you know, can you grow them in pots? Can I do them on a windowsill? Can I grow them indoors, etc., etc. So that video series is addressing that. The patio has just gone down. And um, do you know what? Originally, I was going to put jasmine. I think I told this um, story to you last time or maybe the episode before. Um, we've got jasmine growing up a south facing wall that the patio abuts to. And I thought it would be really nice to put jasmine, low creeping jasmine, all the way around the patio. However, last month I went to Kew Gardens to interview somebody uh, about the book about everyday gardening by John Coots. Uh, more of that next episode, by the way. And while we were at the gardens, Mr. Adorable and I saw these big, beautiful grassy mounds um oh gosh what are they called fairy something or other the grassy people among you will be screaming at it give me 20 seconds i'm going to tell you exactly what they're called because they are utterly gorgeous you can go search for them and by search of course we all know that i mean google um and you will be able to see oh no did i get rid of the thing oh no i think i did um oh no here we go so they are Wait, uh, fairy tales. Yeah, they are called fairy tales. Okay, Penicetum fairy tales. So big grasses. Couldn't get any, but I got tall tales. Very, very similar. So it's a big, they create this gorgeous, almost uniform dome of grass with these tall fronds, you know, the fluffy sort of grass, seedy heads out the top. And when we saw them at Kew, immediately, you know, there were sort of two or three clumps together, Mr. Dorable and I looked at each other and said, that would look really nice around the border to create like almost like a hedge, like a grass hedge. So it'd be evergreen, but with gorgeous 
um, you know, in the summer, these beautiful spires, which sort of leads your eye through because the wildflower meadow is meadow, <laughs> wildflower meadow is immediately next to uh, the patio. So you turn right out the patio, and uh, if you remember rightly, I've had beautiful, big um, herb, vegetable, and fruit gardens before at the farm. This time, I wanted to see if I could do it small. Now I've got tons of space here, half an acre. We could make it big. But I really wanted to force myself to only grow the things that I love, only grow the things that I need, and to work out how to grow as much vegetables as possible. And this is the big idea. I'm going to talk to you about this episode as well, among some other things. Oh, I've got some really exciting stuff as well. Um, how can we grow food that will feed us throughout the year? Not necessarily everything, but, you know, I mean, food is getting crazy expensive, right? I mean, just everything, the cost of everything is getting really silly. And, I, you know, you come here for some relief, I know that, and a bit of, you know, honesty and nice stuff. Positivity, please, Jez. But I am a little worried, you know, as the cost of living increases, as energy prices increase, as everything else increases, then if we have a big recession, those high inflated energy prices and food prices are still going to be high. So, you know, people are going to struggle. And I came up with this really big idea, and it is big, but I think it's possible. And that's just to think about what could we grow at home? So actually, I love bulgur wheat. Uh, bulgur wheat is uh, pretty low in calories. It's low in fat. Uh, it's high in carbs. So it fills you up, gives you energy. Um, and of course, it's so adaptable. You can grow it. Uh, sorry, you can eat it all year round. You can store it dry. Um, and so I'm going to grow my own bulgur wheat, uh, which I'm going to do a video series about as well. So you can check that out on YouTube as well. Um, so I thought, wouldn't it be really nice if all year round, we could eat as much as possible from this little patch we've got. So that's the plan for there. I will uh, do some more touring of that area as well. Then to the right of the fruit and bed patch is the kitchen garden, and it is looking epic, gang. We're, again, doing another video series all about that. Lots of you have asked lots of questions about it, from what you're planting in it, what did it look like before? How much work is it involved? Tell me about the barbecue area, you know, kitchen. What does that mean? Are you having plumbing? Yada, yada, yada. I'm going to go through all of that. And in fact, actually, we're going to release the plans for the kitchen bit, the big countertop with a barbecue in it, so that if you've got a little corner, a little space, you can scale it up, scale it down. I want to encourage people to cook outside all year round. Um, that's another big idea I've got, but we'll come to that on another episode as well. There's this wasted bit down the side. I've started pocket planting in there. We've got some teasels. We've got, um, uh, what else have all Oh, Echinops in there. Some gorgeous uh, creeping something or other. I can't remember. I put some wild seed in there as well. There's the blackberry. The lawn's looking horrific. <laughs> That's a project for the autumn. And I'm going to talk to you about some really interesting things that are in the John Coots book about creating a nice lawn. Of course, you know, I see these vans driving around, you know, we'll cue your lawn and make your lawn look gorgeous. But ultimately they're putting, and my dad, oh my gosh, I went to see my dad recently and he, he loves his lawn. I mean, he's a keen golfer, so he likes the idea of a perfectly weed-free, gorgeous lawn. And I said to him recently, gosh, dad, this is looking really nice. Like what, I mean, it's incredible. It looks like something out of a movie set. How have you done it? He said, oh, I'll let you have the box. Um, and it's this box of lawn stuff, like magic lawn or something. But it is packed full of dangerous stuff. You know, there are chemicals and acids and, um, uh, uh, oh gosh, what is that? What are those things called that kill stuff? What are the um, pesticides? Thank you, shouting at me. Don't shout like that. Pesticides that are killing all of the weeds. And then it's got tons of very burny, uh, you know, fertilizer in there to encourage the the, the grass to come through. Um, so. You know, it's this kind of dead, ironically, very luscious and verdant green. But, I mean, nothing survives there. You know, you're not going to get creatures and insects in there. They're being killed all the time. You're not getting any weeds, which, of course, are good for, you know, all sorts of matter. So I thought that was a really interesting trade-off. So I'm going to do a really big series on the lawn because there are, in fact, there are areas there where there is more weed than there is lawn. But I would like a nice lawn. So how can we achieve that? But be kind to the environment because we're coming up to the season when there's the right time to do it. And the wild area is just looking epic. It's just looking gorgeous. So, you know, it's been a huge, huge bit of work. And interestingly, you know, moving house as you get older, I think you become more aware of 
I don't know, like distractions in life and where you're going wrong. Um, or well, certainly I have been, you know, I do a lot of self-reflecting. I think it was Socrates, I think, who said that, you know, that, uh, an unexamined life isn't worth living. Um, so I'm constantly kind of, you know, examining and, and thinking and reflecting and how do I make myself happier and am I happy and how can I live a calmer life or a better life or perhaps a less stressful life or are those the right decisions? Um, and that in itself is a really interesting process to go through. I think gardening enables that, it helps that because when you're out gardening, there is obviously, as you all know, because you're listening to this, this wonderfully restorative feeling that happens when you garden. Um, you know, your brain gets flooded with alpha brain waves, but at the same time, the repetitive um, sort of nature of gardening, you know, the weeding or the seeding or the pricking out or the deadheading or the watering or is, is tranquil, it's relaxing. Uh, and you get that lovely oxytocin release and serotonin release and the alpha brain waves that create this gorgeous heady mixture where you lose time and you sort of disconnect uh, in a very positive way. So my garden, I think, is a haven, but ever more so, um, even though it's a lot of work. You know, I look out there and I think, gosh, the veg garden really needs weeding. And I've bought some poppies and I've bought five or six different poppies from a place called Nikki's Nursery. I think it's nikki'snursery.co.uk. Um, it's worth a shout out. I love an independent nursery. In fact, give me two seconds. I'll grab the pack. I've got five different packets here of uh, poppies because what I wanted to do was wherever possible, um, you know, some areas I've got to use bark uh, for the paths, for example, uh, to suppress the weeds, but wherever possible in the borders, I want to grow wild flower and encourage wild gardening. I am so obsessed with wild gardening, it's untrue. Um, you know, I, I wasn't aware of how much I enjoyed wild gardening before and how much of a big advocate I was. It was just, for me, it was just the way, it was the normal way of gardening. And it's only since coming here and designing a garden again from scratch in at this moment in time in life in my life and in you know people's the sort of conversations that are happening in gardening that wild gardening is becoming i don't know a bit cool it's becoming a bit current which does make me smile because i think you know it's been around for well it is the way right <laughs> pre-victorian era the victorians have a lot of things uh, um that we we shouldn't necessarily be thankful for that they did and gardening is one of the things that i think um you know maybe they made some great strides, but they also ruined things um, in many ways. They ruined our perception of what gardening should be. Anyway, so Nikki's Nursery do a ton of different poppies. So I've got a packet here of field poppy. That's the um, classic red poppy. Um, and I'm going to sprinkle these throughout the herb and vegetable garden so that it will just be a sea of gorgeous poppies punctuated with different vegetables because obviously you don't get lots of vegetable growth all year round and there is a need at certain times of the year to you know rake areas back and and and, and level areas so that uh, this is the you can probably hear the puppy in the background little woody is um uh, is just repositioning himself in his crate and i'm hoping he's going to settle down he's very excited because a load of chew toys just arrived for us to review and he can smell them. And I promise that when he wakes up properly, we'll film the unboxing video with the chew toy test. But uh, he went to sleep, so I thought, oh, great, I can record the podcast. So I'm going to sow all these poppies down. And as from next spring and onwards, of course, I'm just going to get an abundant flow of gorgeous poppies. You get the lovely flowers, of course, during the spring, summer, and then during the winter and autumn, you get that gorgeous architectural, you know, dried poppy head thing. And of course, free flowers. I love seeds. This one is papaver berries and cream. And if I remember rightly, the, the sort of dark pinks and uh, light pinks, like a strawberries and cream kind of feel. This was papaver ladybird. Oh, that is a gorgeous poppy. It's got big black spots um, in the flower. So they look like giant ladybirds. Papaver pandora, I cannot even remember what that is. Oh, don't you love it when that happens, when you buy seeds and you've left them for a bit and you think, I don't know what that's going to look like because I can't remember. But I remember thinking at the time, there's a nice sort of mixture. And this is uh, Papaver the giant. These are these huge, tall poppies, which I thought would create a bit of height and drama so it's not all the same size over there. So super, super excited to get those um, uh, sewn in for the herb garden next year. Uh, and that will create a nice distinction to the kitchen garden because the sorry the garden kitchen i keep calling it a kitchen garden the kitchen garden is a garden where 
grow things for the kitchen, like herbs and, um, I don't know, things that you can pick, vegetables maybe. But the garden kitchen is a kitchen in the garden, right? And it's largely all been laid to gravel, partly because of some concrete issues and trying to do it cost effectively. I planted loads of uh, rosemaries and uh, lavenders and some succulents in there. We're going to pop some roses in some pots to clamber over the walls. We popped a jasmine in there against the wall. Some gorgeous false orange blossom to uh, line along the side of it and create this lovely kind of hedge. Uh, there's a different type of jasmine at the other side, like a standard bush jasmine. It's going to look really gorgeous. But check out the videos when they come. I promise we'll talk to you more about that. So, you know, despite the fact there's so much in the garden, isn't it lovely that there's that? I don't know where else that happens. Is there anywhere else in life where you can have something that actually requires a lot of your attention, a lot of your energy, actually is a bit stressful at times? Because you just get a bit of that. You just I think everybody gets a little bit of the keeping up with the Joneses thing, don't you? I mean, you, you know, I think it's important to love your garden, but particularly in the early stages when it's not quite there, you can be really heavily influenced and maybe put off, actually, by seeing other people's gardens that are complete, that are, you know, 10, 15, 20 years down the line, because it does sometimes take time for a garden to establish, to look good. And then you come back to your own little patch and you think, oh, I don't have the money or I haven't got the time or the vision or uh, I just I, it hasn't been enough time in order to develop. I think it can feel very difficult. Certainly, I remember, I mean, I haven't watched Gardener's World for a long, long time, but certainly when I used to watch it avidly, I always remember at the end feeling a little bit kind of anxious. I'd be writing loads of notes and things and think, oh, gosh, I've got to do all these things on top of all the other things you already thought you had to do. And when I stopped watching it, actually, it was quite nice to not be led by one narrative all the time and go off and find other things, you know, go and go to open gardens and see what other people are doing, speak to other gardeners. I think sometimes we can really overcomplicate the idea of gardening, which is, I think, why I like wild gardening so much. There is something really magical about just sitting back, letting go a little bit and resting, leaning into nature. Uh, it doesn't matter if stuff goes wrong and what you like is all that matters to impress anybody else, do you? And the reality is that gardening can be really expensive. So this is my, I guess, big uh, idea because I don't, the way that I've designed the garden was did not have a greenhouse as part of the design and it's going to be a bit difficult to put a greenhouse somewhere. There are a couple of places I could put it, but they're really expensive. And the lead time on greenhouses is like 21 weeks. Well, so I thought, wouldn't it be an interesting challenge to try and grow without a greenhouse? And, you know, gardening can be expensive, but there are some absolutely brilliant, I mean, brilliant hacks out there to make gardening effective and cost efficient, um, if not free, actually. So I've got this big idea to connect more people with growing and gardening, particularly because it's going to be the, you know, a, a really important, not a resolution, but a really important support for the rising cost of living um, to make gardening easy and free. Uh, you can garden an awful lot more indoors than people think. You can grow a lot more indoors and in little pockets and spaces and communities. I remember we used to live at a place that had a local to where we were living. They had a chap who created something which I think he called a virtual orchard. This is, I mean, I was telling my neighbor about this last night. So the idea was he had an apple press and a load of equipment and created apple juice and cider. And the way that he did so was to cast a net out to people. Obviously, it's a metaphorical net. It wasn't literal. Um, it wasn't like the, the, a child catcher from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, the equivalent of like people who had apples. You come here. Uh, he would, I don't know where my brain was going with that. I'm so sorry. So he would uh, put out little notices to say, hey, if you've got windfall, or you've got apples that you don't do anything with, don't let them rot. Pick them up, bring them in a, in a bag. And he weighed them and had a special sort of calculation system. So depending on how many you bought, you exchanged them for ready-made bottles of cider or apple juice. I mean, isn't that just inspired? So you take all of your apples and pears that, I don't know, are excess or that you don't know what you're going to do with. You tend to find that. People love having the idea of, you see a lot of aspirational things. Escape to the Chateau, you know, brilliant program. 
huge gardens. The difference is they've got the time and the financial support to grow that fruit and do something with it. I think for most of us, I've certainly been in that position where I've had an orchard and and it, it becomes, there's a period of time where it's all consuming. I mean, you have to be out there twice a day picking apples. They don't save, so you have to either blend them, squash them, press them, freeze them, cook with them, give them away. So you've got stuff that you're doing all the time while the rest of your life is happening. So I think it only suits a certain type of people. I think there's an aspiration to have fruit trees is really lovely. But you have to think, well, if you don't do anything with that fruit, they fall on the floor. They attract wasps particularly um, and insects and rot. And of course, you can't mow the grass if there's something with grass because it mushes everything all together. And so I love the idea that if they just sat there doing nothing or rotting, just go and pick them up take them somewhere and you get free apple juice and free cider. Isn't that such a cool idea? Why was I telling you about that? I can't remember. Oh, about making gardening easy and free, I suppose. So I quite like uh, this thought of connecting people with growing stuff, right? So have a little look around to see if near you there's a seed cooperative. And seed cooperatives are, I guess, basically just like they say they are. It's a group of people that share seeds. There are online versions as well. Now, we, uh, I am creating a version of that. It's taking a lot longer than I thought it was because there are a lot of logistics and silly little things you have to work out in the background. But the Cuttings Club is going to be something that is launching this year, I promise you, where you can send in some seeds and we'll then send seeds from somebody else. Uh, you can send in plant cuttings and then in return you get pl- plant cuttings in return. Um, that, by the way, all comes from... The little test tube thing. I think I've shown you this on um, my Instagram before, but I might do a quick video about it just to explain it again. So I created these little test tube holders to put on the wall in the house. And the idea being that because I don't drink, it's very kind when people come around and they bring you, I don't know, a bottle of wine if they come for dinner or something like that. But I thought, wouldn't it be really nice if instead all of the plants, because I collect house plants, had a story behind them? And an awful lot of the house plants in this house have a story behind them. I've bought many of them, but also lots of them have been grown from cuttings that people have given me. So the idea behind this cutting wall is I take cuttings of my plants and I put them in these little test tubes and let the cuttings develop and root and grow. And when you visit the house, you bring a cutting from your house and you put it in one of the test tubes and in return, you take one of the other ones home. So it's like a cutting exchange which means that every single cutting and plant has a story as attributed to a person, which I think is a lot nicer than a box of chocolates or a bottle of wine. Um, So I thought, wouldn't that be nice to do, but via post? Because obviously, you know, I'd love you all to visit my house, but I do have other things to do. And sometimes I don't wear enough clothing to have people coming around the house all the time. So there are sort of versions of that seed cooperatives where you share seed. Many of them were set up actually to preserve seeds, you know, um, native seeds, old species that we don't see anymore that are just dying out. So they have a, a, a real, um, you know, sort of uh, nostalgic uh, and important environmental and ecological purpose as well. But also just save trays. I, I mean, seed trays are so, it's just a plastic tray. I don't get it. They're so expensive. Well, if you buy mushrooms from the supermarket or raspberries or I don't know, anything that comes in a plastic tray, keep that tray and use it. I pop a little bit of uh, newspaper or kitchen towel in the bottom just to help absorb um, some of the extra moisture. But if you want to, you could pop some gravel or stones in there. And again, don't go buying them. You know, if you, I don't know, visit somewhere and there's some gravel at the side of the road or something, just grab a handful and put it in a bag and take it home with you. It's, it's kind of ideal, right? You know, if you're out walking your dog and there's some sort of rough, you know, gravel on the path or something, just, you know, take it. Obviously, don't walk around somewhere like Wadston Manor or something and start taking all of their gravel. That is not been don't say oh well i listen to this podcast and jez says you can (laughs) that's not what i'm saying just to be absolutely clear um and then you can use those as little growing trays uh we had something delivered i can't remember what it was now something was delivered the other day and they had really cool pressed cardboard really firm trays uh like packaging that sort of held the thing in place inside the box and we were just about to throw them out and i said to mr adorable that they are perfect for seed trays that's exactly what they are. So um, that's a great idea. Um, use windowsills. I love the idea that actually what you could do is maybe 
you know, I said this to somebody once and they said, oh gosh, yeah, but it just sounds very cluttered and messy having like things all over your windowsills, all these plants growing. And then I thought, but wouldn't that be a lovely challenge to create something beautiful, create something pretty, some nice pots, different old reclaimed, you know, terracotta pots maybe, position them in a nice cutesy way, maybe with some other ornaments or decor or cut flowers or something and create, you know, a feature piece, create a bit of an interior decor around growing plants. That suddenly changes completely the way that you feel and interact with your windowsills. Um, and also think about what you've got in terms of space to grow up, grow up fence posts that are already there, grow up fences that are already there, grow up walls that are already there, grow up posts that are already there, grab some, I've done some in the garden here, I found some uh, old bamboo canes and I've tied them together a couple high uh, and we've now got height instantly if you're going to put an arch in somewhere or a gateway or something just grow something next to the gate or the fence post or something you don't have to have it all together you have to create a vegetable garden in one space in fact here I'm growing some gorgeous peonies in what is effectively the herb and vegetable garden and I've put some other flowers in there as well some really nice uh, there's a rhododendron that I think I'm going to put at the end there Put some heather in there just to fill in some gaps. What else have we put in there recently? I'm trying to think. I'm in a little lookout there. I know there's one. Uh, oh no, two. Did I buy um, agapanthus? I bought two agapanthus or three agapanthus, whatever they're in there. So, you know, it doesn't all have to be in one space. You can go for a little walk and see. Oh, I've got blackbirds around the front because they grow up, a, I don't know, a, a tree or something, a dead tree. And of course, you can grow across and on top of stuff as well. You know, maybe you, quite often you see people who created bin stores. And on top of the bin stores, they've you know put a seed in a grass roof or something. And I think, well, that's good. It's good for pollinators. But also, it's not an overly necessarily practical space. You know, there's nothing to stop you from growing strawberries or herbs or something perhaps a little more useful. And I think possibly as this cost of living crisis develops and continues, I would imagine we're all going to be looking at the way that we grow things and how we can make that perhaps work a little better for us. So it's perhaps a little less, um, you know, beautiful and pretty. And that's its only real, you know, objective. OK, you know, things like cedar and bin stores are often good for pollinators, but so are strawberries <laughs> and so are herbs. But they're also really useful, too. I think we'll probably end up thinking about things a bit like that. Uh, don't forget you can grow indoors as well. You know, potatoes can grow indoors. Uh, what else can grow indoors? Cucumbers can grow indoors. Uh, all sorts of things can grow indoors. Now, the other thing is to grow what you love as well. Don't just grow everything, you know, because you can or because you want to or because other people are. Just think about, you know, what are the things that we eat? You know, that's what led me actually to thinking about, okay, I wonder if you can grow bulgur wheat and how do you do that? And I'm quite excited to see, you know, how that pans out and for us to use it. And dibbers, what are dibbers all about? I mean, there is, there's something, you can buy anything, can't you, in the world of gardening for anything, you know, any job in gardening someone's thought about. Just use a finger or a pen. Why do you have to buy a dibber? So don't get carried away into thinking, you know, that you have to spend tons of money because you really don't. We do overcomplicate it. And I tell you what, one lady who, I mean, she's just, she's just brilliant when it comes to keeping gardening simple, passionate, and successful and that is of course Christine Walkden and I am delighted that I got to speak to her again and she managed to fit me into a very very busy schedule so from Pete practical gardening tips keeping it simple and Christine has solved my greenhouse conundrum so let's have a little listen now to an interview I recorded with Christine just a couple of weeks back this is brilliant for me because it's it's unremunerated garden advice right? <laughs> <laughs> doesn't necessarily um, mean it's right <laughs> <laughs> that is true but i'm in desperate need of it so um I, i've taken on this half acre of overgrown grass right yeah <clears throat> i was dusting down the um shelf we've been doing a lot of garden renovation and i found this old book from 1931 written by john coots who was a, an ex-curator at q uh, and the book's called everyday gardening and it takes you through literally everything you could you know how to dig how to use a spade you know li literally everything and i thought it'd be really fun to follow it see what they did back then see if i could you know implement it mm. now and what would the garden look like <clears throat> and i've run into some challenges i'm not gonna lie but what I would want to start with 
Firstly, with your vast experience, do you think I, do you think this is a valid project, or do you think I'm am I mad for doing it? Is it is it possible to still garden like they did in 1931? Am I off my rocker? What's Christine's take on it? The fundamental principles of gardening haven't changed over many, many years. So the fundamental things you will be able to do and are still as sound today as they were back there. What you won't be able to do is use the armoury of chemicals that they used in those days. Um, you will have to put in time because the results were much longer in coming than with modern practices. But apart from the chemicals and fertilizers and things like that that we've got well did have available and now have changed, I would have thought that very little actually of the fundamental principles would have changed. Sure. Okay, good. Well, that's reassuring. Um, and actually what's equally reassuring is that this book seems to have been written either through choice. John omitted a lot of the, the sort of chemical aspect of it, or it was written just before that boom really kicked off. Because I suppose 1931... Yeah, it was still early, but there was still, you know, arsenic was being used back then and sort of that That's sort true. of stuff. So, you know, we tend to think of chemicals in a very different way to that period, but they were using yeah. things like salts and, you know, all sorts of things, really. So... Yeah. Um, but fundamentally, the, guard, the principles of gardening have not changed since man started, you know, from a cave. Um, they're basically the same things. And there's not much you can grow in a cave, so that's saying something. Well, it, it went outside. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, um, one of the challenges I've got here is that obviously I've come from the farm where I had some great facilities. But here it sort of feels like starting again. And in some ways that is it's joyful it is it, you become integrated with the process of nature mm. you know with the cycle of, of change in other ways it is a little frustrating and it's limiting so one of the things I don't have is a greenhouse and that's one of the main reasons that I wanted to get back into a conversation with right. you because I know that you aren't necessarily part of the greenhouse brigade no I am so not I, I, and mainly because I've nobody around to look after it if I'm away, and I'm away quite a bit, of course. But you don't actually need a greenhouse to grow. And it's Great. fallacy to think that number one on your list has to be a greenhouse. It doesn't. If you've got light, and most of us have windowsills these days, most of us have facilities outside that we could utilise, even if it's a makeshift frame. You know, you don't actually need an awful lot of very flash equipment to grow plants. What you need is the enthusiasm to start, water and a bit of effort and good light, and then off you go. Well, judging by my success, I also think I need a lot of bloody good luck as well, Christine. Well. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things um, that that's particularly reassuring, but let's talk about the practicality mm. of that. Can people listening, if they haven't got a greenhouse or they haven't got a polytunnel or because um, we forget, you know, I've, I've ended up with larger spaces normally through work mm. more than anything. You know, it's because of my job that I, we've had a lot mm. of land. And, and, and you see a lot of aspirational gardens on television and in magazines. And we forget that actually most people's gardens, the vast majority, if you've got a garden, are very small. Absolutely. Um, and certainly in new builds, you know, you tiny, new housing. Tiny. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. But it shouldn't put you off because, as I mentioned, you've got windowsills and providing you've got a windowsill, you can actually grow. So it shouldn't stop you. You know, you can grow from seeds if you haven't got any facilities and you're scared to have a bash. There's, of course, you can buy seedlings now, you can buy plug plants, you can grow them on, on your windowsill. There's really not an excuse, however small your plot is. You know, you can grow an awful lot from sowing in a three-inch plant pot. Um, you know, you, you don't need an awful lot. A supermarket tray, um, you know, that you've had fruiting and stuff like that you don't need a lot of facilities i love this i love 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 this this is such an important conversation to have because so let, let, let's just i just want to labor this point just to give people really really simple instructions so you've sown your seeds in for example the um you know you've got your, your tray that your mushrooms yeah. come in it's quite useful to pop maybe just a, a little bit of um uh, kitchen roll at the bottom there so the soil all doesn't go out um, and that's enough to sort of help with a bit of drainage and so you put that on your windowsill mm. 
And you can put it on presumably any windowsill, or would you recommend maybe getting a compass or something and checking out where's south, or how would you do it? Fundamentally, for the vast majority of things, for germination and emergence, now let's clear up the two things. Germination is where the plant starts into growth, and that occurs beneath the soil. The factor that is very important is how they emerge. So when they come through the soil. Now, if you've got a shady window, such as a north-facing window, those seedlings are likely to stretch towards the light much more than if you've got a south-facing window. However, a south-facing window can get very hot and you can end up scorching things. My windows that are used for plant raising and my dining room table, which I shove up towards the French windows, cover the table with plastic and stick everything on there, are west-facing. And they still get quite warm. And to stop them mm. stretching, I actually have a dress mirror, which I prop it at the back of the, uh, of the table so that the light is thrown back onto them. But you can use foil sheets um, to do the same thing. Yes. You know, Amazing. So it can be really simple, really, really cost effective. And of course, the joy, the other thing I just want to pick up on, because I just thought this is it's so important. There seems to have been an agenda almost the rhetoric over the last few years have been you know sow seeds grow your own yada 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 but actually you know and i'm big on wildflower meadows we've got quite a lot of experience of growing wildflower meadows and they're not as easy as people make out it's not as simple as just chucking seed down on your lawn or on a bare patch of land you know it takes sometimes a bit of care yeah but you mentioned buying plugs and i think i mean nobody really talks about that i think people maybe think that it's cheating a bit I don't think it's cheating at all. It's taken out one of the steps in the process. Now, some people are intimidated by that first process. Some people don't have the facilities. Some people don't have the time. The major disadvantage is, of course, cost. Whereas a packet of seed, you may be looking at three to five quid to get the number of plants you need as plugs. You're going to be looking at a lot more money. But it does take out that critical period of where you do need to keep an eye on things and just pay attention to them but you know it, it isn't rocket science it seriously isn't rocket science and a lot of people put people off by making it comp- it's not complicated and it doesn't have to be complicated if you can make a cake if you can drive a car if you can do the vast majority of things in life you can grow seeds I love it. Brilliant. Well, I'm, I've, my uh, confidence has been renewed and restored. Thanks, Christine. Now, one of the things that I have to pick up on that we had quite a lot of people um, message me after the, when we spoke last was about peat <clears throat> and um, peat-free compost. And a lot of people wanted to know where you stood in that current sort of conversation, because it's interesting to me that there's still quite a lot of confusion by the general public as to what this big deal about peat-free compost is. And then there's there's been a little bit of conversation about people being a bit a bit anti-peat-free compost. And so I think it's becoming a little bit muddied. Would you mind kind of giving your take on it and explaining yeah. it? Yeah, my take is that peat hot cutlet has been an extremely useful medium for around about 40 odd years. I remember going from soil-based compost into peat-based compost as a youngster on the nursery. And initially we had problems with it because we had to relearn the management of that material. Now, that was an interesting lesson because fundamentally, that's what we have to do every time we change the material we grow in. Now, it is fallacy to think that you can use the um, peat-free media in exactly the same way as you grow mm. in peat. That is rubbish. You can't. You have to adapt your growing conditions. Fundamentally, mm. they don't hold water. The water passes through the compost and the alternatives. They don't hold water as much. They need more feeding. They leach very quickly. They're lighter, so plants tend to fall over when they're bigger. There are issues with them. That's not to say that you can't grow a decent plant in them. But there are, at the moment, some particular bags of rubbish out there that you buy. And I mean, they're a disaster. And those people that are making that rubbish aren't doing the industry or gardeners any Mm. favours. And I think it will take a little time yet before we stabilise and we get something that's fairly consistent. It won't be 
one brand, I'm sure it will be several brands, but there has to be consistency in the results that the peat alternatives produce. Once we've got that, it will gain people's confidence. But a lot of people are using them, are not thinking about the properties, often over water. The surface of the alternatives dry out very, very quickly, almost making the appearance that the plant is about to pop its clogs or droughted. People water it. The more the water, the more the nutrients leach out. Then you start getting yellowing in the seedlings and in the young plants. And then you have to start thinking about feeding. So it's a management change that we have to adopt and observational skills. So, and you know, that a finger stuck down a plant pot is a very useful aid to actually see is that plant dry or wet under the surface? You know, it doesn't have to be complicated, um, you know, because the trouble with peat free compost is that surface does dry remarkably quickly. So, is there a balance then? Because, of course, the you know, the, the extreme uh, conversation that's happening at the minute is that peat-free banned shouldn't be used terrible you know you, you uh, sorry peat-based mm, compost mm, should be banned mm. you know terrible and that we should all be using peat-free that's really important and actually the interesting thing is i've spoken to a couple of nursery owners um who have found that challenging they said you know it has a knock-on effect mm. and that peat compost is great it's a really good so is there a is there a middle ground or do you think it's all going to go peak free and that there will be a problem? I think that government and environmental pressure will push us away from peat. Um, peat has a unique set of properties and any experienced grower knows full well that the type of plant you produce in peat is very different from the type of plant you produce in peat free media. I think for the amateur gardener, we will get a ban. I think we'll be forced to use peat alternatives. Um, and, you know, if that's the way forward, that's the way forward. I mean, once government gets involved and it's legislated, that's that. We've just got to adapt mm. to it. I think the difficulty for certain commercial growers is a very, very different kettle of fish. I mean, how are you going to grow mushrooms on peat-free compost? Peat is used often in propagation material and media. And to get that quality and the amount of air and water retention you need for propagation, mm. it's highly complex, it's highly emotive, it's highly complicated. You are looking at all sorts of issues as far as, you know, ethical reasons, non-ethical reasons, commercial reasons, blah, blah, blah. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, you could spend all day on it, basically. I think fundamentally, though, for the amateur gardener, in 2024, we will probably see um, peat being banned for use by the amateur, and we are going to have to learn to use these peat-free materials. They are very different. They will take time. Yeah, and I suppose the challenge there is it pushes people naturally towards using more fertilizers um, to try and replace some of that um, balance of nutrients and the and the the, the sort of chutzpah mm, that that, mm. that Pete ha that has. And um, I would question the environmental soundness of that because the vast majority mm. of the fertilizers are synthetically manufactured. Um, is it actually environmentally sound to be using more fertilisers? I don't know. I mean, one of the things that saddens me is these days you cannot get truly independent information from anybody. Um, and therefore, you know, the peat producers are going to be biased. The peat free producers are going to be biased. Yeah. The fertiliser manufacturers are going to be biased to actually try and get sound honest transparent information these days is practically impossible that's another example of how gardening has probably one of the most significant shifts has changed from you know when i'm looking at sort of older practices almost 100 years old this mm. book you know 1931 mm. um that's one of the big significant differences now of course is that we're dealing with very different you know things that are being technically i suppose imposed on us to the way that we absolutely garden. so i want to just touch on that before i finish up today do you have in your experience because i know we heard about your story last time and i would encourage people to go back and listen to that interview from series three do you have any i don't know favorite nostalgic gardening tools or methods or or even plants that you either still love or you miss because you don't do or don't see so much anymore anything from sort of the good old yesteryear that you think oh that's my favorite tool or that's my favorite plant or I miss this I have always had a good hoe 
I remember as a kid being told um, on the allotment, you know, have a good hoe, keep it sharp and use it regularly. And I fail to recognise why people end up with weed fields in their vegetable plots. It's a different kettle of fish in flowers because it's not that easy to hoe amongst flowering crops. But on a vegetable garden, a hoe is invaluable. So I would be really, really sad if somebody nicked my hoe. How, if you don't mind me saying, and this is, <laughs> I don't know where this weighs in the whole social approved conversations, but how old is your hoe? My hoe is four, it's fifth. 52 years old oh it's the same it's the one, same one. Oh, that is amazing why and, and so well because i think you don't because we are in a generation of um excessive consumption and we're in a throwaway generation tip number one buy really good quality tools your first tool i mean my my secretaries are the same the same secretaries that bad my spade my fork my hoe are all the same as i bought as a youngster i think i'm more impressed with the fact that you haven't lost your bloody secretary (laughs) (laughs) well i'm careful you see i'm of that school that you know where you put your tools and you certainly don't (laughs) put them in the weed bucket and throw them on the composting mate Christine, any last tips that uh, that you can give me for this? Um, I'll give you a quick rundown of what we've got in case any of them make you think, oh, that's a good idea. Effectively split the garden into mm. four. There's a bit of front garden. There are some annoying bits down the side. There are some challenging bits, but ostensibly the main project is for the patio area that leads off to herbs and vegetables, which this time, and I spoke about this in the last episode, um, I've done bordering a path. Because I've always had a sort of an area, you know, a, a herb garden or a vegetable garden as a square. Mm. Um, and this time I thought it would be quite nice to almost effectively border a, a path that goes somewhere else. Um, so that's sort of a quarter. And then the next quarter is a wildflower meadow. And the next quarter is, a, I guess, what you'd call a formal lawn with, with two borders either side of it. And then the, ne- the final quarter is a sort of a, an overgrown wild woodland area, which is just stunning. Um which I'm currently battling uh, nettles. Uh, I'm winning at the minute, but I'm I'm savvy enough to know that that's a temporary win. What's been lovely is that so many listeners have been engaged enough to sow their own wildflower meadows. I've had so many people saying, I I just love that. I'm going to do a little patch or I'm going to dig a bit of grass up on my lawn and have that as a little wildflower area. So that's been really nice. But I wonder if there's anything that sort of stands out from where what I'm doing with the project that you would say, oh, definitely look at this or don't do this or any sort of top tip. Do you know, I think it's very much a case of what do you want from your own garden? And I, I, I think that sort of question is always um, slightly weird because it's almost asking me to say what you should have in your garden. Your garden is personal to you, and your garden should reflect what you want. The biggest tip I would say to anybody starting was don't try and do too much too quickly, because you often don't do it well, then you don't get satisfactory results, and then you tend to throw in the towel. But try, 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 and try again. And if you're not successful, go and talk to a gardener that's local to you. Speak to your next door neighbour. Join the Horticultural Society. Join the Allotment Society. Go and talk to people because they do actually want to share that knowledge and experience with them. And sitting at home on your own, looking at your dead seed tray, ain't going to achieve an awful lot. But talking it through with somebody that's got lots of experience will help. Uh, I don't know who sold you that footage of me looking at my dead seed tray and weeping, but I'd like to know who it was. That's sound advice, just beautiful advice about owning your own space and getting out of it what you want. Christine, as ever, it has been a joy and a pleasure. I could talk to you for hours on end and I think we are we need to start a Roots, Wings and Other Things campaign to do a Christine Walkman takeover or a, or a day with is what we need. You'd get fed up. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's okay. Great pleasure. Nice chatting to you. Have great fun. So there you go. I would love to hear your tips and hacks and little tricks that you've got that you use no matter what you're growing that help keep gardening simple. And, uh, you know, what, what is it that is passionate for you? You know, where do you... 
what are the things that really make you super passionate about gardening and keep that sort of interest and that intrigue? Um, and maybe we could share some of those. So if you're not following me on Instagram, find me at that Jez Rose. So of course, on YouTube as well. Don't forget to subscribe to YouTube. There's new videos almost daily. Talking of YouTube, this episode, <laughs> hello, is being recorded. So if you prefer, you can watch. You can watch a behind the scenes, me at home. Uh, there is no visual puppy, but there are certainly enough indications that he's here in the background and is about to wake up. So I'm glad we're getting towards the end of this week's episode. I've got a very special offer before we go. Now, obviously, I've spoken a little bit about wildflower meadows and spoken about, about seeds today as well. And here, yes, they are here. I am really excited to be able to have these back again. Lots of people at the farm saw the wildflowers and the bee-friendly flowers that we um, that I sowed there. We used to sell these at the farm. It took me a long time to find these and get this mixture um, together for us. But they're back and they are in the shop. Thatjezrose.com forward slash shop. These are a packet of bee-friendly organic flower seeds. There's borage and buckwheat, calendula, phacelia, corn poppy, hyssop, crimson clover, each envelope, which is recyclable and recycled. And also the print is recyclable as well. It will cover three to five square meters. These are the exact seeds I've used. I think they're amazing. That is Woody who needs a wee. So I'm going to wrap this up by saying that there is a very special offer this month. It expires on the 10th of September. I'm going to try and give you a free gardening related special offer every month in the podcast from now on. So you can get free shipping on the seed packets. There's a special deal as well if you buy more than one packet. Simply enter the discount code AUGUST, A-U-G-U-S-T at the checkout and you'll get that as well. Um, don't forget, subscribe on YouTube, follow me on Instagram. And next month, we've got a really, really, really interesting interview with one of the curators at Kew Gardens. My special thanks, of course, to Christine Walkton this month. And come and find me on Instagram and on TikTok and all the other places and share your top tips with me. From me, from a very hungry and bored Woody, <laughs> enjoy your gardens, keep super well, and I'll see you very soon. Bye.